it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer in the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. This week, I catch up with Paul Daly, Craft Beer Ambassador Leader, Education and Experiences at Lime. Paul recently travelled to the US where he passed his advanced Cicerone exam, making him one of the handful of advanced Cicerones in Australia. As you'll hear, Paul has a lengthy career across hospitality and liquor, but is one of those people that has found a passion for beer and craft beer in particular, and is a tireless advocate for changing the way people think about it. I never tire talking with Paul, and his enthusiasm to drive and share the best of what beer can be often reignites my own enthusiasm, and I wanted to capture a little of that in this conversation. We cover a wide variety of topics, too many to summarise, so I'll just say I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed sitting and having a beer with him. Paul Daly, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Matt Kirkegaard, it's good to be here on Beer is a Conversation in the steamiest, hottest Brisbane day I've ever experienced. We are at a brewery at least with beers in hand. So this is a, this is actually a very rare treat for me uh, to, to, to be having a beer while I record a Beer is a Conversation these days and particularly in the uh, post-COVID era. It's actually a rare treat to be drinking a Czech-style Pilsner in Brisbane heat, and I'm very excited just in that aspect, actually. I think this is all I needed to do today. But this is uh, this is what I like to call, uh, you know, when I talk about my love of beer, this is what I call beer in context. It's a hot day, it's humid, we're having a great conversation, and we're having a beer, which is there is no drink that parallels that that would fit better into this experience than a, a nice beer. No, and oh, look, the audience doesn't know, but I think we we chatted before this for about two hours, and we probably weren't even going to get to a podcast because of just the way the <laughs> chat was going, and and around that was just like you said that the social lubricant or you know what beer brings people together over creativity, sociability, and bonding together, obviously responsibly. Um, that's the most greatest thing about it. So this is the great opportunity now to do that, if anything else. And that's where, you know, we, we have had a lot of talk around this, but that's where beer doesn't need to be sold. We, you don't need to market those elements of beer because people instinctively mm. see beer as that thing. It's it's ingrained in us. Um, and you can read plenty of books about it. We spoke about that earlier. You know, it's that human instinct to reach for something beautiful and refreshing and it's so evocative even when you see it. But um, moments like these, that instinctiveness of this, I couldn't be sitting here with a, uh, a peated scotch whiskey or a, um, a rosé. Wouldn't be wouldn't be the same. And I think this these moments with this kind of product, the beautiful amber beverage, is, is great. And, yeah, it's instinctive. To me, that's part of the problem that we've not yet been able to crack uh, as, as beer advocates, mm. that we come together and we have a beer, but then once that initial socialization has taken place often over a beer we then move on to wine you know the the, the, the serious part of dining 
becomes about wine as opposed to about beer and that that's something that i know that you uh mm. like to like to talk about it's the hard egg to crack or it's you know it's the safe you don't know the code for and i don't think you know on a mass scale or a concerted effort by society particularly maybe in australia at least i think uh, there are localized examples of um how to do that but we just i don't think we've mastered that yet and um, we know, and I think the more you learn about beer, that there is a beer for every occasion. I think I've used an analogy recently or a couple of times in talking to, you know, um, at work, you know, when I deliver education and training and talk about how amazing beer is and how it has the potential to be in all parts of our, our, so, uh, um, our sociability, but also the occasions with friends and family is that, you know, you could, I'd much rather bring a bottle of says on than a bottle of Pinot Grigio to a, a party and show people just how amazing and versatile beer is and you know we're drinking a Czech style lager and which is quite funny because this is really the beer that started everything to why the beer landscape is now what nine out of ten beers drunk globally are lagers and it was all born in pale lagers at that yeah, well, pale lagers, that's it. You know, to try to show the beer nerd in me, 1842 by a bloke named Joseph Grohl in Bohemia. Who looked a lot like Clive, Clive Palmer, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the statue the, of him. Um, if you look in books and you see a, an illustration of, of that bloke, um, the, apparently described by his dad as the, you know, the most distasteful or most horrible human being. That's not the, the exact quote, but it was a pretty <laughs> grumpy guy. But, you know, he created something beautiful and everyone else copied after that. Um, but, my gosh, there is an amazing array of beers out there and I think it's up to, not just up to me, but up to all of us who are passionate about the beer industry to get people talking about them. Let's just backtrack a little bit and step mm. back because uh, for, for those who don't know who is Paul Daly, yeah. Uh, Give us the you know the the elevator pitch for who is Paul Daly. Well, outside of being thirty seven year old white with a mustache, that I don't know why I still wear a mustache, but it's definitely it's Movember. Is hipster still a thing? Because uh... I'm too old for hipster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wear those. Aren't all hipsters too old for hipster? I now? am wearing some suede blundstones and some short cord shorts, and I've got a tattoo of a long neck on my leg. So maybe that is hipster. I'm not quite sure. But besides that. Um, Look, I've been in the industry, in the alcohol industry, basically since I left school or a year after. I had dreams of going into engineering, but um, my I can't work out formulas and maths. I'm not really good for that. So once I realized that that was a prerequisite, I, I fell out of that pretty quickly. And I got into hospitality. I spent some time there for a, quite a long time, um, quite many years, probably sort of mid-20s. Working in the club industry, so registered club industry. According to your LinkedIn bio, the purchasing coordinator at the Mingara Recreation Club. Yeah, yeah. big club. <laughs> so really big club on the central coast of New South Wales. Um, a lot of poker machines, um, those kinds of things where, you know, and a great food and beverage offer, offering, you know, the regular clubs, but very much, you know, about giving back into the community. But I purchasing was um, about the receipt of goods and looking after a stores team but i got to run a, a cellar that had 60 manifolds in it which is for people who like sellers which is amazing and luckily enough to employ a full-time sellerman and um yeah that was great but um i was very excited to get out into the sales world so i spent some time with coca-cola amatol or coca-cola european euro pacific partners i think now but um yeah that was the blue tongue days so Blue Tongue Brewery on Warnerville on the Central Coast, yes, Coca-Cola had bought it at that stage and I drove around in a RAV4 with the Blue Tongue logo on the side of it. 
Um, and, you know, I talk about my beer journey now. Blue Tongue was a challenge for me back then mm. to drink because I was a Tui's Extra Dry drinker in university and I was a VB drinker in my late teens, obviously after I turned 18 because my old man drank VB. Um, but they were really good times. But, you know, after Coke, I was around there for when you know, we had the Sab Miller agreement then and we were brewing Blue Tongue and Miller Genuine Draft and Grolsch and Peroni in Warnervale. Um you remember the, the launch of that brewery and John Singleton's walking around with a blue tongue lizard on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a $125 million brewery. It was a it was very big, significant... 60 million... I want to say 60 million litres mm. it could do. That, that's about right. It was, it was darn big. And it used sterile filtration too, so it wasn't a tunnel pasteurizer or flash pasteurization. And for me, as a 25-year-old, I would no idea what the hell they were talking about. Like I said, I was still drinking... The craftiest thing I would drink was um, Cooper's Green or the lookout for the limited releases of James Squire when they would come out, when Chuck would brew, you know, I think the Wild Pepperberry Winter Ale or Rum Rebellion. You're taking me back, yeah? They are, yeah. yeah they were good. You know, there was probably only like 100 breweries and 200 breweries in Australia at that stage anyway. When Rum Barrel Porter came out, I don't think there would have been 100 breweries. In, in, really, yeah. Because that was... Uh, God, that would be in 2003, 2004. I think I spoke to Chuck oh, about yeah, it on the yeah, recent podcast. Is, I was, yeah, I was coming out of high school then, so yeah, I was still so, drinking my my. Oh, maybe, uh, maybe my it was mainstream that, lagers. Sort of looking at, so you were, you were still there um, at the Mingara in 2010. So yeah, so Rum Barrel Porter mm. would have. It, they may have made a couple of iterations of it, but certainly the first one was a little bit before then. From really, really darn good beers. Um, the the great thing about that brewery was, you know, it just gave me a bit of an insight in the brewery, but I definitely fall in, didn't fall in love with beer at that stage. Mm. You know, Sab Miller was, you know, remember that time when Foster's was two businesses. It was the wine and the beer business, and then it, it split in half, and that created the opportunity for SAB Miller to come in and go, we'll take you, we'll see you be now, and we'll buy you. Coke didn't want a part of it. They gave us some money. We couldn't compete in beer for a couple of years. Saw the, so you stayed with the Coke side of the yeah, business? Yeah, I stayed with Coke. It was um, Pacific Beverages, I think, was the joint yep. venture company. But yeah, Sab Miller bought that off Coke. And um, it changed the landscape a bit because, you know, CBA became huge. You get a really, really big company from that one. Um, I think that um, you got to see the advent of amazing innovation of like Jim Beam and Cola on draft <laughs> and Canadian Club. And Dry went yep. on draft at that stage. And it went on draft at that stage because um, Coca-Cola had this draft system. So, they were refrigeration technicians who went and did all the post-mix machine, also draft technicians. So, the capability to now, if we couldn't compete in beer for a couple of years, to put RTDs on tap and you started to see the CC and Dry, which you see on everywhere now, you know, on draft, you know, the beer you drink when you're, was it when you're over beer or... Who made beer yeah, the king uh, of camping? Over beer, yeah. Question yeah, 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 the yeah, boonies the, over beer campaign. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then we came back into beer. You know, not long after they chucked some money at Casella, he expanded his brewery down at Yenda, and the next thing we got Cause, and we had a big launch for Cause at the Coogee Bay Hotel, um, and we're back selling beer and and very sweet cider in Recorder League, which is now being made. Uh, <laughs> sorry, just to go down the rabbit yeah. hole, is now being made at Cooper's. Yeah. And uh, Chuck Hahn, who I know you spend a lot of time, even post-retirement, uh, talking to, yeah. took a couple of uh, the Cooper's made cores to 
He's the, taking the, it over to Colorado, yeah. To, he, to have it with uh, the, the, the Coors family. He leaves um, next Tuesday, I think, which is good. I, I'm bound at Kosciuszko this weekend, Threadbow, for a, for a Kosciuszko event, and um, he's not going to make it. I think his wife, Margaret, um, is pretty stern with making <laughs> sure that he stays in some sort of semi-retirement so they can, like Chuck said on your recent podcast, just so they can get out there and do some things, <laughs> see the world. But, you know, through all that time with those companies, I was doing sales. Um, it was a fantastic time. When CCA got back into beer, I was doing premium spirits in Sydney. So we had a, it was like a called a signature spirits team. I think it was called the OPFT team, which is you know very long on premise focus team. And our charge was just to work with the premium range of the Jim Beam spirits. So we had Lafroy, um, we had all the Jim Beam small batch, Knob Creek whiskey, Maker's Mark, and. Um, we looked after those real premium sort of whiskey bars, those underground bars, speakeasies in Sydney, and got to meet some dignitaries come out. Um, the one of the, the son of the founder of Maker's Mark, Bill Samuels Jr., got to spend some time with him, which is exciting. But um, yeah, and I stayed in spirits after that. I went over to Diageo for a bit. Again, spirits, Bundy, and mm. got to see Bathurst with Punderberg, which is... You want to see people who love a brand and you see some <laughs> tattoos of Bundaberg there. <laughs> it's uh, wild. But, and then I got in the, where I work at now and I've been with Lion for uh, eight years or just over. It'll be nine years this October, which has just been, that's really honed down my love for beer with Lion. Before we move on to that and also talk about your um, advanced Cicerone, congratulations, cool. just before Christmas you yes. were, are you a point or are you awarded? You're awarded because you actually have to go through a... It, you're a yeah, you're awarded. I don't, you're appointed, I think, if you do something special and become a knight of the realm or something but like you, that. But you no. earn grand, uh, advanced Cicerone. Yeah, yeah, Grandmaster Cicerone. No, Advanced Cicerone um, is yeah the, the third level of the Cicerone certification program, which um, we, we talk robustly about the program a lot, you know, and um, it is, it's quite tough. There's, there's two, one other person in Australia has achieved that, um, and there's three in the Southern Hemisphere. There's a, a wonderful woman in South Africa who achieved that last year, but overall, globally, is only 164, and and then when you get to master level, it's only 22. They're pretty, they're pretty intense. Just as the recycling van, the recycling uh, truck up behind <laughs> us. It's always, always good. Um, yeah, it, it's it's big. You know, there's a written portion, um, and there's also a tasting portion, which I went to Atlanta in Georgia, over there to do, which was a three-hour exam, and and pretty pretty cool. But um, there's an awful lot of study, but gosh, it was valuable, and mm. yeah, I'm pretty chuffed to be able to have say I had a crack and passed passed well done mm. and uh, we we will come back to that in your current uh, role but let's step back to that you, you told me diageo working in the premium spirits team oh that was coke uh, okay okay coke was premium spirits yeah diageo was still spirits but um it was uh yeah more western new south wales looking after a sales right team. so so coke had lafroig not yeah Coca-Cola. Uh, okay. so coke um, has an agreement with beam um it's called beam global it's called beam suntory mm. now uh, and yeah, so that was the, all the the, dim, the Jim Beam label, uh, Maker's Mark, uh, Lafroy, McAllen, Highland Park. Those premium high end scotches, as well as the North American whiskies. I've been to the Highland Park Distillery. Have in, you in, in Orkney. Orkney? It's uh, again, it's, it's it's incredible, and that's I think that must have been before it sold to Beam um, in those days. But I think it's Edrington Group. I want to have it say that um, Beam has a... Well, this is back then. I, I haven't kept abreast of the, the move-ins and ins and outs of who buys who and who distributes mm. who in spirits for a long time, but I think it was Edrington Group, which had a, then a partnership with Beam to be able to do that. 
But what is it about those brands that, you know, again, you can have, there's something about Laphroaig or Mm. Highland Park that it can be bought by a multinational, it can be sold by Coke, Mm. and it doesn't have the same blowback perceptionally that craft beer does or that, that, that you know if, if coke distributes a beer feral is a great example yeah everyone looks askance at that ownership but lafroig and highland park no one cares no that's a good question um and one probably you mull over quite a bit in terms of you do see that um beer is unique in and i'm sure there's people who listen to this have their own opinions for that which is wonderful it makes for robust conversations Beer is unique in the fact that, yeah, it does have a real tribalism to it. And it can get really nasty, unfortunately, I think, for a lot Absolutely, of things. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but, uh, to the, be a detriment, I'll add. Yeah, I don't think that maybe it could be, and this is just over just off the top of my head, there's something about spirits and, and, in, and wine in particular because I don't think it has the same blowback, whereas I think that the, the variety of wine, of the beer, or sorry, whiskies, has always been there. Um, there's always been Lafroy sitting on the coast of Islay taking in the salt. Mm. Um, there's always been a romanticism about that. And those distilleries have always been there. And so there's almost like it's an inherent... It's just acceptable, I guess, in a way. No Whereas one says beer, that they dumb it down. Like, no one says, oh, you know, it's the, the yeah. distillery's still there, but they're knocking it out um, faster I, or cheaper or... If you can answer that question for me, it'd be, the, it'd be incredible. I, I don't... I, That's why I get you on the podcast. I know. <laughs> look, I still think about it. I don't, look, beer, it could be a blowback to from, you know, think about that low point in the 70s when beer was white bread. You know, mm. you think in the United States particularly, they went down to very 50 or so breweries in the, across the country and the most of them were actually just pumping out Budweiser or anything mm. anyway. So I think there is a lot of love for or defense of, of beer because of the the sheer dis- desperate state that it got into in choice and then it took a lot of independent guys to come and bring it back in terms of offering choice and force bigger companies like um, Bush at the time and Miller and that to actually take stock. So when they then go and purchase again or when something changes again, there is almost like a hark back to they're going to take it back to that spot again or possibly there's a worry that you know it could turn into a dire situation like it did because they're so passionate and happy about like breweries like you know ken grosman at sierra or or the guys at um anchor mm. who really really they're the guys who started that genesis to bring in american porters and ipas out and liberty and whatnot it could be that um i don't think there's any real one way but um but yeah we've got to acknowledge that it's quite unique in this industry and i, I guess going back to i think spirits has always maintained what it is there's always been those distilleries there it never got to a point where johnny walker owned every single distillery in the country and everything almost other died but beer it almost did so maybe it's quite a passionate defense of what they want to keep when you were working both in in premium spirits and also you know does anyone call bundy premium well Bundaberg has a premium range there was actually a stage where Diageo got rid of the bear off the logo or the Bundy Um, the bear was gone and it almost went to a premiumization I think that was when I was there in 2014 Um, and there was a bit of a undercurrent of people saying bring back the bear Um, but yeah Bundaberg offers a premium range but it's it's, it's range so it does have a premiumness to it yeah okay yeah absolutely what does spirits do well that beer can learn from Oh, spirits invest in advocacy 
Um, and we had, we spoke about this. I think that, you know, wine does as well. I think that those sort of, you look at the amount of time that those companies, they spend in um, education and training and um, not to say that we don't in the beer industry, we just don't have it as a part of our DNA um, like they do. You look at, um, and we've spoken about this, you can look at um, a wine company and, and it is this acceptable or it's as commonplace that you would be a sommelier or you'd have have some sort of understanding of, of viticulture or you know the difference between a Chardonnay and a Pinot Gris. I don't bloody know. I actually know nothing about wine. <laughs> Different crap varieties. Yeah, exactly. But if I was working in wine, my God, I'd be doing my Wesset or something like yep. that to make sure yep. I had credibility because it's expected with that one. Again, beer, I think, is different and it could again come back to nine out of ten beers are drunk are the, you know, add light, clear bottle, adjunct lagers, which are clean, crisp and refreshing and have a place and there's a reason why they're popular. Um, you don't have to think about it. But, you know, they continually work on advocacy and creating experiences and I think that that is super important for a category to stay alive and vibrant um, within, you know, because we're all competing against each other for the share of people who decide to consume alcohol. Mm. So, you know, responsibly again. Um, and I think that that's important that they've gotten that. And like I said, beard still doesn't. I mean, I'm employed by a company that allows me to do exactly that. But, um, yeah, across industry-wide, I think that the as, a, as an industry, we need to continue to invest if we're not already doing that and making sure that, for example, here at this brewery, um, that when they serve us a check, serve us a check style pilsner, it's in a beautiful clean glass. It's served, you know, in a way that excites and maybe even delights me. You know, mm. tell me something about it. Or see, it's funny because to me that's the bare minimum. Like, mm. It is the bare minimum, that, but you that, don't see that's a lot, not do advocacy. You? No, but, but you don't, and that and, and that's not advocacy. That is what the bare, you know, having a coaster. If there's a label yep. on the glass, it should point towards you as the customer. Um, so you see it. There's just a you know some very basic elements but you know when i hear you talk about the brand advocacy for wine or you know the brand advocacy or some of that knowledge on top of the wine and the spirits to me it's because the product has an inherent respect Mm -hmm. that the foundations are already there so you can then add the gloss to something that people already respect For, for for me with beer beer is just seen as the the you know the, the workers drink the you know the casual drink it, it honestly it's a Roddy Dangerfield I can't get no respect was the way mm. I always used to describe it um, and trying to put some of the polish on top of something that doesn't have the fundamental respect or recognition that I think it deserves mm. is in, is incredibly hard we need to build those foundations first and I you think got I, to invest in it and yeah and I personally think that's craft beers. The, the, the craft beer revolutions missed opportunity yeah the it's the, sometimes it says one percent they're a little bit harder to do but they're they're super super important and i think for a health of the beer industry which is you know by all it, there's a lot of stats out there and mm. thing but generally the beer market's declining the it, ato it, stats the percentage of alcohol consumed as beer is declining yeah it has done for a very long time i saw some roy morgan stats that i spoke to you about that's you know since mm. 2005 out of all the three big top categories beer is the one that's consistently declined mm. so and i want to make sure with everything that i do and the people who i work with you know within line and outside in, in the community that 
we do everything to make sure that, you know, this isn't doomsday, but I don't want it to be 33% today, but I don't want it to be 15% in 15 years because I'm... Won't be, I'm 37. I'm still working there, and I want to keep still keep working in beer, right? But I think there's a there's a responsibility for all people who are passionate about the beer industry to, I guess, lift lift our heads up over the fence and have a look around, and then make that concerted effort to invest in um, advocacy, but particularly to build a culture in beer that is positive. And I think I mentioned to you today that mm. my big thing, especially since doing my my studies, is well, how can I give back? And my thing is that you know I want to make sure that Everyone that I talk to, that it, it, one, it talks positively about the beer industry and anything that isn't advancing positivity or advocacy, then what's the point in me doing it? Because I'm just playing I'm a losing game. But I think we need to build a really positive beer culture in Australia. And we don't have a strong beer culture in Australia that advances beer as a category that is that everyone adopts and looks to that is based in fact it's based in making sure that beer is in every social occasion and anyone who interacts with beer has a real positive experience mm. but it, it, i mean it's interesting you, you've, you've been very lucky to work with people like chuck Hahn, who is mm. just never lost his passion for beer um you know and uh, bill taylor i don't know if bill taylor was still in the business when you started at lion no chuck talks about him all the time though, he was so a former head brewer i can't and he get away trained kiralee waldhorn the beer diva yeah um, okay great and he was a junior brewer at the days of powers so going back yeah. to, to, to 80s 90s or um at, at lion and uh became the the, the chief brewer and again that was in the early days of the craft beer revolution when it was us against them and I, mm. I, I always regret now that he's retired that I never got to spend more time with him uh, I was so convinced of the own rightness of with my Chuck. cause no no with um, oh, Bill with Taylor Bill. Oh, so Bill. He, he, he retired and you know, again he was uh, very much a lion man yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and big beer but he was also incredibly passionate he wrote a book about beer and food matching he inspired mm. a lot of people with his in the same way that Chuck did but yeah, so you know, obviously there is that culture within Lion um, that on, on some level, beer people are very passionate people uh, about advocating for the things that you are still talking about. Lion um, has been quite incredible over the years. You know, you've got an example there of Bill and you've got an example there of Chuck of people who actually, you know, they're passionate about it. And it's been a business that's been fully supportive of that, which is absolutely fantastic. And that's, you know, I've got a team of ambassadors reporting to me at Lion. Um and they've been supportive of that. So it's good to have that culture. Um, but again, you know, we're only single people at the same time. So, yeah, I think that that's why I'm sort of, well, that's why I, I speak to you particularly. And, you know, it can be tough at times, but I think that we need more people in the industry to be of that mind to make sure that we are, you know, we're not just talking all the time about the the easy wins in beer are what you said the culture of of pushing out a lot of pints and a lot of you know beautiful pale lagers and that's always going to be there it's super important because it's the the backbone of our industry but it's game day St Pat's Day create the event oh, get I love people a Guinness in on St Patrick's Day but again this the, the, the problem isn't the thing it's the way the thing is done I love a Guinness often. every day I had um, one yesterday in 35 <laughs> degrees I had two actually I, I just sort of just again to go down the rabbit hole uh, I saw that Guinness became the biggest selling beer on tap in the UK did it yeah so wow. it's, uh, I think beating Tetley's or the, 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 the camera guys won't be happy about that will they <laughs> 
<laughs> how about we talk about that while we're talking about beer culture? You know, like again, has Cam? Do, do, do you follow Camera? I was a member, yeah, um, until recently, and that's sometimes I become memberships of these associations is to get a look under the hood to see mm. what resources they had. Um, but I didn't renew. But it was again. In its day, it was incredibly important about yes. raising awareness for a thing. But as the world moves on, my perception is they became calcified in in that and became scared of any change. Perhaps I think so. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't disagree with you there. Yeah, what was it? The seventies? They got together and mm. decided that they were sick of you know the big the big. Shopping center style pub groups who just had you know regular ke- lager on. Well, it was lager, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. The breweries were selling, they, and they were they, getting rid of the. Uh, I was thinking about this maybe in the car on the way here, or it maybe might have been earlier. But you know, good examples of how people have affected change in an industry when you know things are going not the way you'd like to see it, and there isn't that that era of that culture in in an industry, and they did it really, really well. You know, they. They came together and they revitalised car scale, and but you know they they, they did aren't. Did they though, or did they just renew awareness of it? Because one of the criticisms of car scale was always, well, there were problems with it. You know. Oh yeah, there are big problems with it. Yeah, yeah, and, and <laughs> you've got to be very skilled to be able to to you know even accept that kind of of product and then serve it within as a, a time frame. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. So so. So it was an expensive product that became more expensive to serve it properly when people didn't want to pay for that privilege. And even now, it's a classic conundrum. I know. So they changed the culture of it to save a very expensive style of beer, Mm. but then expected it to be presented in the most expensive way you can possibly preserve beer. Yeah, certainly not not the perfect example, but I think it's a very good example of um, affecting change, you know, in a way. Well, I see. I, I think yeah, this is where we did, 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 probably did, disagree because I see it as a perfect example of some of you know some of the. There is a reason that things were going the way that they were, and you can't. Pubs are looking at pubs need to make a profit, and you can't save a product by serving it in a worse way because people won't pay for it. And ultimately, as consumers, if we won't pay for the proper treatment of an expensive product, mm. it's going to go away. Yeah, true. Look, I, yeah, and that's probably going to be one of those disagreements that anybody ever has. I think. That, I don't think it's a disagreement. I oh, just sort of think. Um, yeah, look, I think oh, for me, it's, I feel that they 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 affected some change in the landscape, and and change, you know, in, in that sense was revitalizing car scale and maintaining a style. And I think that you know, although it's quite a challenge to do, and it comes down to you know, there's a reason why we got rid of it because it's bloody hard. You know, no, there's a reason why we don't serve beer in wooden kegs or you know, open it up to the atmosphere for the effects it can have on it. But in terms of affecting change in, in, I guess, that community, there were a lot of pubs that actually came on and yep. were, you know, it, it, it actually changed the way it serves and opened people up to that there are flavours in beer other than what was actually available, what was the easy route to take, and people got on board with that as well. It's a micro sort of way of looking at an overall picture of culture and, and of service, and I think that the service cask beer is um, people who are into it is a, a cultural aspect of, you know, that's what they want from beer, and that's how they perceive beer for them should be. There are there's amazing complexities of beer that's like 1.1 dissolved you know co2 1.1 volumes of co2 in it and it served basically fat but also you know 12 or 13 degrees from memory um and that 
adds to, um, I guess, the diversity of a brewing industry. And without them um, actually impacting that change, that would have gone. And there are little examples of that all over the world who people who maintain old ways of doing things when they're inefficient or public and won't do it, you know, look all throughout European, you know, just even just the, the way of doing, you know, lambics and those things. Gosh, it's an old way of doing things, but they do it and they maintain, it maintains this tapestry we know of beer, which keeps things vibrant. Um, and I think they're super, super important, despite the facts of uneconomics where it's a crap way of serving beer and it's better to drink a Stella Artois out of a chalice and is crisp and cold and, and good looking. Although I'll put a reverse hypothetical to you then is, say camera had never sprung up, you know, would cask beer would have continued to decline you presume yeah but would it have ever fully disappeared because was it finding was water finding its own level and it was finding where that you know, we would have lost a lot of breweries but not presumably all of them because there would have been some demand mm. and water would have found its own level of the right number of breweries for the right number of venues that could serve it in the right way yeah, look, it's very possible. We don't know. No, we That's don't. That's the hypothetical, you know. That's and there's examples of that throughout all brewing of when styles nearly die and then all of a sudden they come back. Who got no, the Belgian wit? Did beer. actually did die, and it yeah. was uh, somebody who brought it back. And um, um, well, absolutely, hundred um, percent. There's another one I've come to think of, and it's just gone totally out of my head. Goza. Goza, yeah, yeah. Another perfect example. And look at that now. Mm. You know, most of the sours you see out there, they although they say fruit sour sour, they're actually gozas. Mm. Um, yeah, there's there's amazing things. And look, it could have died. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting example to see some people. But I think you go back to your point you said is um, it's probably not as exciting now. But, um, you know, those guys are pretty, pretty stuck on uh, making sure that it's still... Yeah, the, the cask breather, I think, is a is a particular way, but even that's not traditional enough for them. The innovations, that's, and and that's the problem. So they've refused to yeah. countenance things that could probably make cask beer better in a modern age. True, because it's no longer traditional. And craft beer has jettisoned a lot of those quaint notions of what was traditional brewing. So we, we've seen yeah. in, in in the U.S., brewers are allowed to do a whole lot of things that 15 years ago were the opposite of craft beer. Yes. Yes, that's Using changed. enzymes, for example, and yeah, adjuncts. Yeah. And yeah, adjuncts and enzymes are a really big thing. So um, look, that's the evolution of craft beer right now, really, mm. isn't it? Um, I don't know how much you want to go into that part. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think it actually oh, look, I think takes us anywhere. Because it doesn't take us anywhere. It's people an interesting, like what they like. Look, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. And again, it involves... I think the most important thing is that um, when we talk about... Um, craft breweries and even just large breweries themselves because large, bre- large breweries still do craft breweries as well mm. but they also is an important place for large beers like you know your forex and your great northerns and then heinekens and your stellas and your peronis to make sure that uh you know the way they present the beer and the way we we go to market with beer the way we talk to people about the beer and those brands is done in a way that promotes a good beer culture and makes people excited to drink beer you know but all these beers are only really one or two types. You think mm. about um, when you spoke about Cicerone before, and this is probably one of the things that people still don't get to as much, is we have the biggest opportunity in the brewing industry more than any other, I think, category, is that we have so many styles and that we spoke a couple and we said Goza, we said Whitby. I think I mentioned Saison before. You know, In the advanced Cicerone, for anyone looking at doing that, people who are familiar with Certified, there's 90-odd styles you've got to memorize and memorize in terms of quantitative, the color range, the abundance range, the alcohol range, and then the technical, the, the appearance, the aroma, the flavor, and whatnot. So 
if we're only talking about a handful and we're talking about pale lagers, there's 90 other, 85, 90 other styles of beer out there that we haven't so much explored in terms of getting it into situations that beer isn't already in. Talking about premiumization, talking about beer and food, and there's, I think it's untapped, but it's, you know, it takes a bit of an effort. So hopefully we can, uh, you know, make that effort in the future. Now, you spend a lot of time working with um, bars, you know, yeah, uh, and, and particularly some of the larger pub groups. You've done a lot of training mm-hmm. and invest a lot of time in training staff to get the service of beer better, which elevates the experience and mm-hmm. hopefully makes beer, you know, more attractive. Yes. Do you ever give any thought to what would be Paul's pub? Um, what would what would be your pub? What are the Ooh. minimums that, that you would have if if you had your own pub? You know, what would you be looking at uh, in terms as, of service elements? In terms of service elements, what is missing from most pubs that you think that would just be the basics of service? For oh, your pouring own? a beer in the first instance is the way we pour beer. A lot of the time is incorrect. I think we don't look after our glassware enough. Um, there's even look, even in craft beer channels, um, you look a lot of the things of people who you know who are craft beer enthusiasts online who spend most of their time posting photos most of the glasses have bubbles on the sides of the things you know and, and that's, don't they get hammered for it <laughs> they should yeah. we, we all have a we all have a stake in the game here and if i think that if you're posting photos online for beers things that you're passionate about and you're clearly passionate about it because you love the product and you want to you know create um a bit of attention for it and hopefully for commercial reasons wouldn't that be the dream um, we should look after and respect the beverage. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. Um, the, the best thing about the Cicerone program is that it spends 25% of the time telling you about teaching you about draft systems and the, the keeping and serving of beer in retail and the on-premise situation, which I think is probably the most important part because so we can spend a lot of time in a beautiful brewery like the one where we are at, where if you can brew a beer but you can't serve it right, you may as well not have done anything in the first mm. place. Well, not to that. That's a bit of an extreme example. Well, no, but I, I, think there's, I think there's something to that because brewers spend, craft brewers spend so much time talking about mm. what makes their product different. Mm. But that all falls down, you know, if it's served badly in, in their venue or if they don't look after it yeah. on, the, on its way to trade. What, what does it matter what comes out of the brewery if what goes to the customer is, isn't that? Yeah. So, I mean, from the draft system side of thing, my, my beer system would be the cleanest in town. Um, so that that's an important. I get disappointed a lot. And I do probably with the more you drink beer and the more you study, even from a sensory side of things, mm-hmm. the effects of um, improper treatment of beer or even just the draft line side of things when you get an infected beer line there's nothing worse than that one but like you said before your glassware is your first thing the way you serve that beer you don't touch the faucet into the the, the foam into the beer you don't let the foam come over the side of the beer if that's Unless an issue it's a check side pour tap oh yeah <laughs> uh, true very true you don't see many of those around though do you but you, you want to make sure you clean it and but uh, you know those sort of hygiene things if you think in the main pubs um they're, they're absolutely essential we said that today. You know, mm. we didn't we didn't have coasters today, and it's thirty five degrees in the shade here, and on a cold beer on a humid Brisbane day, and, it and the tables are just but covered these, in water. These are simple steps to create an experience, right? And the Belgians and the Germans have it absolutely nailed. You make sure you get your beer sitting on that branded coaster, and mm. it's served to you. If it's a logo glass, it's brand facing out to you. It all adds to an experience and a bit of the theatre, but it also adds a premium premiumness to the product that we're actually serving people 
And if you look at the stats, that premium side of beer is where we get trounced on with wine and spirits and a lot of the time. So there's there's little things that we can do, I think, that we can start to push into the, how beer is perceived and how we serve it. And we can start to push into the areas that I think there's opportunity for a lot of growth for us in the beer industry. How do we do it and charge a fair price for it? Because all of the things, yeah, you know, service is expensive. Good service mm-hmm. adds, adds a cost. Cleaning your line adds, adds a cost. And I don't say that to be critical, but I say it as the guy who publicans always tell me to essentially, well, when you, will, when you want to join us in the real world, let's have a conversation because <laughs> the, 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 the publicans are the ones who need persuading and they're the ones that need to work out how they pay for this. Yeah, well, I mean, there's not a lot of money in having to, you know, just teaching somebody and training, investing in your staff, in your staff to make sure they know how to pour a beer properly and then put it on the right coaster. Other than that, you know, the, the risks of not cleaning your beer lines or even just the risks of investing in training, say, if they wanted to go and do some professional training, so mm. the, the Cicerone certification program, I would say the risk is that, you know, beer keeps declining. Alcohol consumption is a part of that overall alcohol consumption declining, but beer keeps declining and the category isn't really there anyway in the future so which isn't going to happen but there are extreme examples of of that and but this is what does my head in when you say you know give a consumer a good experience and yet half the consumers don't know what a good experience is you know and and we still get the you know the the, the funny guy who gets two fingers of foam on the top of his beer goes oh I didn't order an ice cream and you go well mate that is the way that it's meant to be served and 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 they're okay those guys i mean i worked my first job was in an rsl and i was you know i got beer pushed back to me all the time because the foster's light ice had too much foam on it and the little (laughs) he wasn't happy about that um and look that's fine and i'm not talking about you know that every time you serve a beer that it has to be done in a way that you teach people the ins and outs of like i mentioned before of Joseph Grohl and Czech style. I go, hey, did you know that your, <laughs> did you know that your two is new? Started in a little town in Bohemia, Czech Republic. You didn't even it exist. It was a then. Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. No, I'm not talking about that. But I think you know this, and it's just like the same way that you know, in a situation where you're serving cask wine, you're not doing the same thing. There's there's things call for, um, you know, different ways of service, I guess. But I think that there's there are a lot of bars that do focus themselves on premium, that don't deliver premium, mm. and they do charge a price for it. You know. And I think that's where we can start to, and it's the small and little changes um, that go along with, with, with those things. So where do you stand, warm glass or glass from the fridge? Uh, I actually, it depends how warm it is. You do, I think a, a glass from the fridge is fine for me as long as it's not frozen. Mm. You, not glass in the freezer. A chilled glass in the fridge is it's totally fine. I've read different literature. Um, you know, people do. I think the glass, the, the cooler glass, it's going to stop you foaming anyway. So that's the point. So I think from a service perspective, in high volume venues, to make sure that you're make you're pouring a very good beer that looks attractive. If you're put into a, if they, this this venue today had. 35 degree glasses <laughs> the, as soon as that foam or that that beer hits the side of the glass that co2 is going to break out a solution and you're going to get a lot of foam because of the change in temperature it's the warm coca-cola bottle thing so i like a chilled glass but if in this sort of situation but at home all i do with beer glasses is one i never put them through a dishwasher because i got the nice logo ones you know <laughs> i think they're pretty um 
um, I wash it out with just it's a tap water, but uh, at room temperature is perfect, I think, for yeah. me anyway. But like every every climate's different. You know? Yeah, well, and, and, and if and like I said, if we were at one of the big thumping pubs, I'd say the Breakfast Creek Hotel, big pub, yeah, pours a lot of beer. Um, yeah, chill glasses on a day like today because you're pushing a lot of lager out of there. So mm-hmm. look, everything's different. You know, there's no there's no one right rule, and yeah. people have their own opinions and. And I mean, I've got my own opinions and people, a lot of people don't agree with me and they've got their own and, and that for right reasons sometimes because most of the time I'm wrong. <laughs> well, not all those of the time, but, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm hearing the feedback from that. But the opinions I talk about with those sort of things is that there's going to be a variety of different situations in that one. Mm, for me, it comes back to giving the consumer the experience that mm. they enjoy. And there are a lot of ways you can do that, and it's very hard to set the rules because you know if if, if you're not in a 35 degree Brisbane tropical day, mm. um, it's a very different rule than a Melbourne winter, for example. On yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't, don't particularly want a chill glass then either, because mm. if it's super cold outside, if it's blowing, it's eight degrees and blowing, it's a wind chill of two. I actually wouldn't mind it to be a little bit warmer um, because I don't want it to be super cold because there's mm. no no enjoyment in that. So. Beer is the ability to be versatile like that, I think. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, what What I just want to see is that people to fall in love with beer. And I think if we don't fall in love with it, um, you know, we, you know, I don't know what the future could be like in terms, like I said, I'm not doomsday, but, um, you know, I guess mostly what I've been thinking about recently are those stats. You know, I want the beer category to be healthy and, vi- and, 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 and vibrant. So... Um, everything that I do, the impact I try to have on a lot of people is to create that vibrancy and that excitement. So I try to share beer with people that they might not have ever had, um, but don't be prescriptive of what they should taste and what they should be getting out of it, but also just open their horizons up and say, did you know this existed? And, you know, I don't like beer, man. Everyone loves a beer. There's a beer for everybody, whether it's a crazy, not a cannoli beer. Sorry, Mirabellini, (laughs) not a cannoli beer. Um, but yeah, there's, there's something for everything and look, God, I love this industry. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's, it's good. Mate, I think that's as good a place to, as any to leave this conversation. So oh, Paul Daly, wonderful. Perfect. Well, we're, we're 45 minutes and, uh, we? yeah, it, it just goes. Time we, could, we should stop and have another beer then, I think. I, I think we should probably do that before you uh, catch one of those planes that's going overhead. Uh, not a bonza. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Daly, thank you for this conversation about beer. Thanks, Matt. Catch you all. And that was Paul Daly. If you like this conversation and would like to make sure that we can continue to deliver podcasts like this one, help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think we're the most targeted way to do that. We have the conversations that the industry listens to and they can listen to your message as well. Shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise with us. If you're a listener, you can kick in a few dollars a month and sponsor the show. You know the deal, for as little as a cup of coffee or half a schooner of beer, just follow the link in the show notes and see how you can do that. Otherwise, you can just review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service and help others find us, or you can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. We'll be back this Friday with Brews News Week, diving deeply into the news of the week. We look forward to joining you then.